What is the definition of an oath? The Oxford English Dictionary describes it as a solemn promise, often invoking a divine witness regarding one's future action or behaviour. There may be many instances where you can recall oath-taking, such as sworn testimony in a court of law, where the witness makes a commitment to tell the truth. In the law of Moses, God permitted the Israelites to make oaths in his name and even made oaths himself. We can see this in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, that says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So if God allowed for oaths in the law of Moses and even made them himself, why does Jesus say, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all? In today's passage, Jesus is actually referring to the ceremonious way in which Jews, particularly Pharisees, took oaths within the culture of the time. These oaths were forms of words designed to impress. There were no truths in these oaths because the oath taker didn't intend to fulfill the promises or commitments that they were apparently confirming by taking the oath. Essentially, it was designed to pull the wool over people's eyes. In Old Testament law, it was clearly wrong to make false oaths, and there were many warnings against making oaths and then not fulfilling them, such as in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, that says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. But Jesus raises the bar even higher. He says, Make no oath at all. Now, in the time of Jesus, making oaths had become more popular. What was originally a vow to make a solemn covenant before the Lord had developed into a widespread problem of making oaths to convince each other of the truth and sincerity of their words. The rabbis had developed a complicated system for determining whether oaths had to be kept, and it was generally considered that only oaths made in the name of God had to be kept. Swearing by the gold of the temple, the throne of God, or his footstool, sounded impressive, but were not considered binding. They sounded fancy, and even religious, but you'll notice that none of the oaths mentioned God directly, and that was the point. In these cases, people could say whatever they wanted, but then break their promises, because they had an out clause. Indiscriminate and insincere vows became so commonplace that no one took them seriously. Instead of being a mark of integrity, they became a mark of deceit. And instead of prompting confidence, they prompted skepticism. I wonder how many of us as children crossed our fingers behind our backs when making a statement, believing that the crossed fingers absolved us from keeping the truth. Or the infamous pinky promise made by interlocking our little fingers together and making a promise that we didn't intend to keep. This kind of promise-making with no intention of keeping it is the social issue that Jesus was speaking out against. He is reminding people that the Creator is always present. He hears what you say and he also sees your heart. Clever word games do not excuse lying, and if you say you're going to do something, no matter what words you use, if you then do not do it, it is still a lie. Oaths are meant to strengthen the truth, but in this context, they weaken it instead. 
The Pharisees were trying to play the system by making it seem like they were making an oath in God's name when they were not. But Jesus says, God is always witness to what you say, whether you call on him as a witness or not. You cannot remove God from the equation. It's easy to see the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the often emptiness of the words of politicians today, and the agenda bias of the press. But what about in our own use of words? Well, the message from Jesus is clear. Let your yes mean yes, and let your no mean no. In other words, everything we say and do should be done with honesty and integrity. We've probably all heard the story of the boy who cried wolf. The tale concerns a shepherd boy who repeatedly tricks nearby villagers into thinking a wolf is attacking his town's flock. When a wolf does appear and the boy again calls for help, the villagers believe that it is another false alarm and the sheep are eaten by the wolf. While making up stories about fictitious wolves and making and not keeping oaths are not exactly the same, they both cause us to lose our credibility before other people. If we are known as people of integrity, who always keep our word, then elaborate oaths become unnecessary. Simply put, if you say you're going to do something, be a person of your word and do it. And if we are going to be people of the word, then we need to stand out in the way we use words. The God we serve, the one who Jesus taught us to address as Father and to trust completely is entirely truthful. He is the God of truth. His word is utterly reliable. It will accomplish what he intends for it and he cannot lie. Therefore, truthfulness, reliability, humility and compassion ought to characterise the words of those who follow Christ. There are a few people I know who are well known as men and women of their word. When they tell you they will do something, you can count on it every time. But they stand out because so many of us do not take seriously these words that Jesus taught his disciples. And like the Pharisees, we look for ways to excuse ourselves, to differentiate the promises that count from those that don't. But if we want people to trust the words we speak, then we cannot separate out what matters from what does not. We cannot afford any strategy, no matter how clothed with biblical language, which gives us room to blend truth with untruth or faithfulness with unfaithfulness. We need to speak the truth to each other, recognising that every word we speak is uttered in the presence of God and our words matter to him. When I was writing this sermon, I was reminded of an incident that happened two Christmases ago. My husband Dave and I were parked in a very tight parking space and having reversed out of the space, he scraped against the adjacent car, causing superficial damage. As you can imagine, his heart sank. He knew to own up would cost him, but as a person of integrity, he felt compelled to leave a note on the windscreen with his contact details. In the end, it cost us several hundred pounds, which was a big hit, particularly around Christmas. My husband will tell you that having to pay that still pains him today. Trust me, I have to hear about it on a regular basis. But he says that the experience meant that he grew as a person. By living honestly, he gained personal integrity. Integrity then can be costly, either emotionally or in Dave's case, monetary. But Jesus tells us that what we gain by truth-telling and truth-living is even more valuable than money. Honesty promotes authenticity, 
transparency and connection, creating intimacy with God. It also builds a culture of trust and it forms a context for our personal relationships with others, whereby both parties feel secure enough to be genuine in their interactions. Maybe this morning you have become aware that there is a lack of integrity in your life, that there is a gap between your word and your deeds, your faith and your daily life. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 2, rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So let your yes be your yes, and let your no be your no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Let's pray. Father God, we want to be people of our word, a people who act with honesty and integrity in all that we do. Today we confess that we have sometimes failed to do this, and we ask that you fill our hearts and our minds with the truth of your word. May each step we take along a path of integrity bring us greater joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.